welcome to the sermon podcast for Ashburn Baptist Church, Chicago. We pray the message you are about to hear is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. It is Mother's Day at Ashburn. Hey, help me out one more time. Let's give all of our moms one more big round of applause. No, an applause like you love them at least, right? Let's give it up for them. Moms, you are good at so many things. Like, moms always know what to do. Have you ever noticed that? Like, mom just knows what she's doing. Mom always knows exactly what to say. And for the past couple of weeks, I've seen Kara, my wife, become a mom. And it's been pretty cool because my mom and her mom have basically been at my house nonstop for a week and a half. So that's been cool. They bought our groceries a couple of times. That was awesome. But I've also seen them give Kara a ton of good advice because that's what moms do. Moms give good advice, but it's that same good advice that they give their own kids who their own kids disregard. Those kids disregard their own good advice, but then later on when they become a parent, they give that same good advice to their kids. The same, kid, the same advice they ignored all those years is now the good advice that they're giving to their kids. Like, have you ever noticed the trouble with good advice? It's that it usually interferes with your plans. And my plans. Good advice usually interferes with what we have going on in our lives. Since Karen and I have had a son, Briggs, it has been a whirlwind adventure. Actually, can we, how's he doing, Kara? Can they meet him? Is he sleeping? Bring him up. Bring him up. Here he comes. He's in all white like an angel. We're hoping it stays all white by the end of the day. This is Briggs. Everybody, thank you so much for your encouragement and for your prayers. Do you want to come up or you want to stay down? You want to stay here? Okay, that'll work. So this is Briggs. Uh, so he has been, it's been an awesome couple of weeks. We've learned a lot. We've heard a lot of good advice. We've also heard some bad advice. You see, so many of you have brought to us good advice, but it's like that good advice goes in one ear and out the other because there's so much of it that it's hard to filter through it. However, there was one piece of bad advice that's been given to us so far as parents. It was the very second night in the nursery at the hospital. And Kara was having trouble because Briggs was hungry and he wasn't getting enough food and he was having trouble latching because he was frustrated. And so this old nurse came in who we had not yet met yet, met yet. He walks, she walks in, she tries to help Kara out and she didn't do a lot of good, but she says, I have an idea. She left the room and she came back with this little tube of magic. It was sugar water. She put a little bit in his mouth, and then instantly he latched. I have a feeling he would have latched on anything, like he probably would have latched on to me and been happy. It was sugar water, and and so we were like, oh, this stuff's incredible. We need to take all of this home with us. This is going to help us. And so later on, right before we were discharged, we asked our nurse, our regular nurse, we told her this story, how this old nurse came in and offered us this little tube of magic, and we said, can we get like seven or eight hundred of them? And she said, oh, no. No, you don't want to do that. That's really bad for the baby. The whole time we were thinking, this stuff's incredible. I was literally taking that tiny little tube and stretching it out as far as it would possibly go, getting every last drop. But that's the thing about bad advice. It kind of sticks with you. Everybody give my son and my wife a round of applause here. Guys, I'm so excited. We had a baby just to boost our attendance. We're plus one now, so that's awesome. But that's the thing about good, bad advice. We receive it, and those are the things we often remember. And it's crazy, I can think back in my life to moments where I received bad advice and I learned an incredible amount of lessons from bad advice. Bad advice is an excellent teacher because mistakes is an excellent teacher. So today I have some bad advice for you, church. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh, 
uh-oh, I got some bad advice for you, and I'm excited to share it with you. It's through the example of a man in the Bible that we find named Lot. And Lot, through his experience, literally ruined his life. And so today, my bad advice for you is I want to show you how you can ruin your life. Like, if you want to ruin your life, you're in the right place today, because I'm going to give you a step-by-step manual for how you can just completely ruin your life. In six short chapters, we see this man, Lot, go from flourishing to failing. In six short chapters, he ruins his whole life, because he had everything that he could possibly want. He had health, he had wealth, he had stability, he had family, and in six chapters, he loses it all. How did that happen? Well, I want to show you that story today. If you have your Bible, you can open up with me to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to be in Genesis 13 and Genesis 19 today. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to throw it up on the screen for you. The Bible says this in Genesis 13 and verse number 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, that's his uncle, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land, the land couldn't support them while they stayed together. Because their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. So quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. Lot had a lot of flocks and herds and tents and possessions and things and workers. And there were so many things pulling at Lot's attention that he forgot the most important thing in his life. Relationships. Up to this point in his life, he and Uncle Abram have had an awesome relationship. They've been together for several years, but now they were going to part ways because quarreling had set in. Lot had had his attention pulled to his things rather than his own family. And by the way, do you want to ruin your life? That's a great place to start. Sacrifice your relationships for stuff. If you want to ruin your life, sacrifice your relationships for your stuff. Lot did exactly that. He sacrifices his own family to focus on his possessions, on his herds, on his flocks, on his tents, on his stuff. And if you want to ruin your life, I recommend you do the exact same thing. Sacrifice your family so that you can get that promotion at work. Sacrifice the relationship with your friends so that you can buy that house. Sacrifice the relationship with your kids so that you can enjoy that hobby. Sacrifice the relationship with your spouse so that you can go on that next trip. Sacrifice your relationship with God for a few extra minutes of sleep. Man, I don't know about you, but I don't want to ruin my life. Don't let the devil convince you that stuff is more important than relationships. Because your relationship with God, with your family, and with your friends is more important than any job any house, any boat, any vacation, and any dollar amount because we need relationships. We need people. We need friends. We need family. We need God, and we need relationships with all of them. A rather cruel and crude experiment was carried out by a man named Emperor Frederick. He ruled the Roman Empire during the 13th century, and before this time, he was trying to figure out exactly what was the natural tongue of man. If a man was born, what would be the natural selection and the the tongue that he would choose to speak in? What language would he speak? Would it be Hebrew, Greek, or Latin? So he decided to take a handful of infants and isolate them. He took nurses and he sworn them to secrecy so that whatever language that came out of their mouth at first would be considered the original language of man. The nurses struggled but obeyed the emperor's commands. 
Not a single word was spoken to a single one of those infants. Tragically, after a few months, every single one of them died, never hearing a human voice. I hear that story and I understand that Emperor Frederick sacrificed the lives and relationship with infants for a little bit of knowledge. I hear this story in Genesis chapter 13 and I understand that Lot sacrifices the relationship with his family so that he could have more things for his livestock. And I wonder, what are you willing to sacrifice your relationships for? Being a pastor for the last several years, I've seen so many different pastors that I've watched in ministry take their ministry, their job, their pulpit and prioritize it over their family. And I pray to God, that's never me. I pray I always prioritize my family over everything, and I pray you do the same. Prioritize your relationships with people. Most importantly, prioritize your relationship with God unless you want to ruin your life. And if you do, then choose stuff over people. Lot and Abram decide to separate. Abram comes up to his nephew and he says, hey, I don't want there to be anything between us. So look to the left, look to the right. If you choose to go left, I'll go right. If you choose to go right, I'll go left. And here's what Lot did. Check out verse number 10 of chapter 13. The Bible says Lot looked around, saw the whole plain of Jordan. He was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Now, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to talk about that in here in a minute. So Lot chooses for himself the whole plain of Jordan. And he sets out toward the east. Lot looks to the left. Lot looks to the right. And he decides that he wants all of it for himself. He wants it all. Don't miss it. Lot was being selfish. And if you want to ruin your life, live for yourself. If you want to ruin your life, live for yourself. Get what you can get. Have what you can have, do what you can do, be who you can be, live for yourself. Like if you want to live comfortably, make sure you don't love anybody. Be selfish. Never sacrifice anything because even though comfortable living is living for yourself, I will tell you this, it's also miserable living to live for yourself. Because when you and I choose to live for ourselves, we isolate ourselves and we have no one to live with. And even more sadly, maybe nothing to live for. As a Christian, I find that especially tragic. Because you and I have no greater purpose than anything or anyone in all the world. The good news of the gospel has been given to us. We have Jesus. But if we choose to live for ourselves, we don't share Jesus like we should. We don't have purpose to live for other than ourselves, And so we've isolated ourselves, living for ourselves. One day, Hudson Taylor, that famed missionary, was traveling on a Chinese boat from Shanghai to Ningpo. And he'd been witnessing to a man on that boat named Peter. Peter hadn't yet accepted Jesus as his savior. But he talked, Hudson talked about how that man, Peter, was very, very close and clearly under conviction. Over the next few hours during the course of events, Peter actually fell overboard of the ship. Hudson frantically tried to get everyone to help him. He he ran to to the sail and he let it down and then he jumped overboard, begging others to come help him find his friend Peter. But no one sprang to the to the attention of Peter. 
Taylor saw a fishing boat nearby and he, he yelled out to them for help, but they refused to come help unless he offered them money. For the next couple of seconds, Hudson offered them everything that he had. And finally, they let down their fishing gear. They came over to where he was, began to drag the nets. And within less than a minute, they found Peter. But it was too late. We can easily hear that story. And we condemn the selfishness of the fishermen. But by indicting them, we may be condemning ourselves as well. Like, are you too busy with yourself that you've forgotten about others? Are you too busy with your interests that you've forgotten to be a witness? Are you too busy with your occupation and your life that you've forgotten about your purpose as a Christian? If you want to ruin your life today, live for yourself. In the plain that Lot has chosen is a city, it's called Sodom in a city called Gomorrah, and this was a city of sin and wickedness. So as Lot leaves Uncle Abram, he chooses a, a place to stay. He must decide where he's going to live. Where was he going to call home? Where was he going to pitch his tents? Where would he reside? Well, the answer is given to us in Genesis 13, verse 12. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So Lot starts out among the cities, pitching his tent towards Sodom. And what's amazing is by chapter 19, we find Lot living among the Sodomites. He was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's exactly how sin works in every single one of us. At first, it's something that's rare and distant. But as we become more comfortable within our lives, the more that it consumes us. And if you want to ruin your life, let me encourage you to continue moving towards sin. Keep moving towards sin. Like that sin in your life that's at a distance. Just turn your life's focus towards it. And then tomorrow, move a little bit closer. And then later this week, give in to that sin a little bit. That sin that's at a distance, you just keep on moving towards it. Keep struggling with it. Every day, just a little bit more, because if you do that, I promise you, you will ruin your life. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but after that is the ways of death. Don't miss this today, church. Small compromises lead to great disasters. Small compromises lead to great disasters. I heard a story about a naval submarine that I found fascinating. There's someone aboard that submarine who actually walks the walls of the sub, feeling for any condensation against the wall. And if he finds even the slightest bit of moisture, he must tend to it immediately. The reason is fascinating to me. Less than 100 meters, that tiny little hole where slight condensation will be coming through in a matter of moments will become a much larger hole, allowing water to rush inside of the submarine, causing death. Greater than 100 meters, this is incredible, that tiny little hole allowing just a little bit of water to come through will rapidly grow, causing the submarine to literally implode upon itself. And so as that naval officer walks the edges of the submarine, feeling for any condensation and any moisture, he's knowing that if he feels any moisture at all, that his life is at stake. If you want to ruin your life, then I want to challenge you to walk the walls of your life today. And if you find even the slightest bit of sin, 
Ignore it. Forget it's there. Keep living with it. Keep allowing it to be in your life. Because if you do, that small compromise will lead to a great disaster. You want to ruin your life? Keep moving towards sin. Lot did. Every day his his tent was facing Sodom and he, he began to move even closer, even closer until he ends up in Sodom. Living in the sin. And God plans to destroy the city for his wickedness. But I love this. God is gracious to Lot. And he offers him a way of escape. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that my God is a gracious God. And even though he sees me in my sin, even though he sees me in my wickedness, he still chooses to offer me mercy and he still chooses to offer me grace because he loves me. The Bible says that even while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And God so loved me that he gave his only son so that if I believe, I can have life. It doesn't matter how far from God I find myself. His grace is still there, and I have great news today for you. His grace is sufficient for you. He loves you too, for God so loves the world. That's me, that's you, that's all of us. And he's offering us the same grace that he's offering Lot. Lot knew better, but Lot was now living in Sodom, and yet God is graciously pursuing him. He sends some angels to Lot. And, uh, and Lot tells, and the angels tell Lot to leave the city at once. Skip forward to Genesis 19. Look at verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife, take your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. These next three, verse, three, three words of this verse are challenging and disheartening for me. But he lingered. His life was literally in the balance. But he lingers. He waits. He has some business to attend to. He has some things to pack up. He has some loose ends to tie. Do you want to ruin your life? When God directs you and when God convicts you, linger a little bit longer. You want to ruin your life when God is directing you and convicting you. Linger a little bit longer. Like right now, if God's convicting you of a sin in your life, linger with it. If God's giving you direction and clearly wanting you to go in a specific way, just wait a little bit. Tie up some loose ends. Take care of your business. If God's moving you in some way right now, then just wait. Just a little bit. Figure life out first. When it was time for me and Kara to go to the hospital to have baby Briggs, Kara and I had a few things to wrap up. Let me clarify. Kara had a few things to wrap up. Kara had a few things she wanted to do, and I, I've read some books. I've, I've watched The Office a bunch of times, and so I know that you've got five to seven minutes. So I was panicking a little bit. I was like, if this is it, we better go. But Kara's like, I'm going to shower and I'm going to get ready, and I'm going to do my makeup, and then I'm going to unpack my bags that are already packed and then repack those bags. And then I'm going to grab some new bags and pack some other things that I might just be just in case. We literally moved into the hospital, and I think she wore two outfits in four days. I'm not kidding. We, we lingered a little bit longer. We got some food. That was one thing I was on board with. Like, I was down to get some food. 
We took the long drive out to the hospital. We were taking our sweet time, and she was lingering while I was panicking. Well, we do the exact same thing with God. God gives us direction. God gives us a way to go. He gives us some insight to our life, but we linger with that direction that he's given us. We want to tie up some loose ends. We want to wait till it's more convenient, and so we occupy ourselves with anything but the will of God. And if you want to ruin your life, you're doing the right thing. Keep lingering. Keep waiting. Figure life out first. Lot gets shoved out the door by the angels. Their parting word was a warning to Lot and his family. They said, run and don't look back. If you look back, you die. So they start running. God starts destroying the city. We find the narrative continue in verse 26 of Genesis 19, but Lot's wife behind him looked back. And she became a pillar salt. Lot's wife behind him looks back. And there's a lot to take away here. Like the fact that Lot was leading his family out of a city that's being destroyed, but he's running so fast that he's left his family behind him. Like I read that story and part of me hopes that if that was happening to me, that I would put Kara and my family in front of me to keep pushing them forward. No, Lot continued in his selfish ways, continued to run up that side of that place, and his wife was behind him. But the, the part I want to focus on is, is Lot's wife. She's been instructed by God not to look back. If she looks back, she dies. And who knows why she looks back? The Bible isn't clear, but at some point she looks over her shoulder. And instantly her life is ended. And you know, whenever you make a decision for Jesus, but look back. It's always a mistake. Always. So if you want to ruin your life today, look back. Look back. When you make a decision for God, look back. Like today, maybe God is speaking to your heart about your relationships. About how you need to prioritize your relationship with your friends or your family or your God. And and today you're going to make a commitment to God to be better about prioritizing relationships than tomorrow. Forget about it. Look back. Give up on it. Today, if you decide to follow Jesus, then this week when it gets a little bit inconvenient and when it gets a little bit hard, just look back. Stop. It's more convenient not to follow Jesus. So do that today maybe you're going to decide to get rid of a sin that's in your life and purge it out of your life well the next time temptation pops in just give in a little bit just one time look back if you want to ruin your life keep looking back on May 6 1954 Roger Bannister became the first man in history to run a mile in less than four minutes within two months Within two months, John Landy eclipsed the record by 1.4 seconds. So naturally, on August 7th, 1954, the two of them met together for one historic race. As they moved near the finish line, Landy held the lead. And as he approached the finish line, he was wondering where Bannister was, so he looked back. In that moment where he looked back, Bannister took the lead, won the race. 
Later on, someone from the Time magazine approached Landy and Landy said, if I hadn't looked back, I would have won the race. Church, today I believe, just like we sang in that first song today, that God has a victory for every single one of us in this room. The Bible says you and I are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. God has guaranteed a victory in your life, but if you want to fail, look back. You know, I'm done with bad advice. Let me give you some good advice. Don't ruin your life. Don't sacrifice relationships for stuff. Don't live for yourself. Don't move towards sin. Don't linger and don't look back. Church, today I'm asking you to make a commitment that says, I will not look back. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I won't look back. I won't let up. I won't slow down. I won't back away and I won't be still. My past is redeemed. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, positions, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be tops. I don't have to be recognized. I don't have to be praised, regarded, or rewarded. Because now I live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk by patience. I live by prayer and I labor by his power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought. Can't be deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of adversity. I will negotiate at the table of the enemy or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up. I won't shut up. I won't let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I'm now a disciple till the day that he comes, till I give every drop, preach all I know, and work till he stops me. That day when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me because I didn't turn back. Let that be our commitment today, Ashburn. Let's move forward for the cause of Christ, one foot in front of the other, refusing to look back. Decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any prayer requests or questions about your spiritual life, we would love to pray for you. Or if you would just like more information about visiting us in person, please email us at chicago at ashburnbaptist.com or visit our website, ashburnbaptist.com slash Chicago.